0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert Judith Weigel. A few
1: years ago, I was called by a woman who wanted to get divorced, and she had six children. That is more than most people have nowadays. Two to three seems to be the average six children is extreme. Her husband walked out one day and she had no idea where he was. When she came to me to file for divorce, she said, I want to tell you why I think I have six children. I love them all. But my husband is of a certain culture that enslaves women by the number of children we have, So, that I cannot have a life of my own. I cannot go to work. I cannot have my own money. And I am so involved in taking the children to doctors and play dates and school and everything else that they're involved in that I cannot be an individual. Along with, I had no free access to a community bank account. I was given a stipend, an allowance, if you will, each week. And I had to account for what I bought, even food-wise down to the last grape. I had to account for it. She Mm -hmm. said, I feel like I've been in a cult. A couple weeks ago, I got a call from somebody else who just graduated from high school, got married, had four children, so, only a, call, only a high school education, no college, no work experience, and he just said he was filing for divorce, leaving her with no means of anything. Mm-hmm. This is our topic for today. I have with me a most unusual person. Her name is Kelly Teal. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, this is, thank you. This is great that you've assigned the time to be with us. Kelly has been a member of a cult. And what I just described to you with these two women who came to me, they expressed their lives as being in a cult, enslaved to somebody else, and had a hard time extricating. So, Kelly, you actually did belong to a cult, didn't
0: you? Yes, I did. <clears throat> I was involved in the uh, cult that a lot of people have uh, seen on television in the Vow and Seduced and um, many other programs called Nexium.
1: Okay. And when were you in Nexium? From when to when?
0: So I joined Nexium at uh, beginning of 2016. I think it was January of 2016, and extricated myself at the end of the beginning of 2018. Okay, so two years, two and a half years, something like that? Two, I'd say about two, two years. What is Nexium? So Nexium was originally when I joined a self-awareness organization. They were teaching classes on human potential. I was looking for something to sort of uh, grow myself as a person. I was a little bit vulnerable because I was feeling like I was missing something so along came a recruiter who introduced me to these classes, and I started taking them in Los Angeles. And I thought they were wonderful because they really were helping me and the people around me to grow. In the beginning, so in the beginning it was very, you know, it was very kind of innocent and exciting at the same time. You know, you don't just kind of wake up one morning and join a cult. I joined a ideology. I joined a self help group is what I actually joined. And you
1: did it for one intention, but you were actually being seduced,
0: kind of, it sounds like. Over time, people were being recruited into this organization to buy the curriculum, to make money for the organization. Okay. After a while, there was a separate group of people who were in, They were uh, recruiting women within the organization. So if you had just taken classes, for example, and went on your merry way... You would have taken some tools, worked them into your life. said so that was a great experience and you were done with it. I decided to stay in the program. I became a coach. I was asked to become a coach, became a coach very quickly, and then stayed in the community and became very indoctrinated into the system unknowingly. So um, it was a very... It was a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. Exactly. So you don't realize that you are being, your power is slowly slipping away. Similar to these marriages, probably.
1: It, that's what I was just thinking. I was thinking, God, this is just like dating. So you are, sed- I mean, you are pleasantly engaged yes. uh, with somebody. This is all new. This is fun. This is wonderful. You want to have a relationship. More than likely, you'd like to get married, possibly have children. And so this is a dream come true. It's satisfying what you would like. So you wanted to work on um
0: Uh, what did, say again, what you wanted to work on? What was your initial goal? My initial goal was to make myself a better person and to be able to give that back to the world. So in giving back to the world, I mean, learning this curriculum that I thought was helping myself and anyone that would come along. And I wanted to be able to teach that to people. So I wanted to help uplift everyone around myself as well as myself.
1: Okay, this is fascinating because you were married at the time. You're still, are you still... Married to the person you were married to back in 2016, yes, and there were children, you had already had children, okay. And only because I've talked to you before, it sounds like you have a very stable life, a very successful husband, and you seem to be a very successful, intelligent person. Why did you feel you needed help being a better person? I am fascinated by that.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So, as a small person, you know, probably when I was six or eight years old, I started really having a lot of questions about the world. I really thought a lot about what comes next? Why are we here? What's my purpose? Maybe not as directly as that, but as I got a little older into my teenage years and started reading all everything I get my hands on, really about how to be a better person, how to figure out what comes next. What is my purpose? What why am I here on this planet? And how can I help other people? So that's kind of, I've been seeking that for a long time. I went to the Philippines. I worked with some psychic surgeons. I went to Tibet. I uh, worked with the monks oh and gosh. learned all about meditation and visited the temples. I actually got to meet the Dalai Lama in San Francisco. I had... Oh my God. Okay.
1: So hold on. Mm-hmm. Bucket list. Wouldn't I love to do that? I'm
0: so envious. Just keep going. My God, this is so great. So I decided after my experience in the Philippines, I got a degree in homeopathy prior to that. But then after the Philippines decided, because the psychic surgeon had worked so directly with me and showed me what he was doing, I would never try to do what he was doing. But I realized that there was something about energy and people and bodies. So I I started working with Reiki. So I had a practice with homeopathy and Reiki. I did a lot more traveling to to Kauai to work with some other healers and to Sedona. So I basically was really trying to to figure these things out. And I kind of hit a wall. And right around that time, because I still hadn't answered the questions, and I still felt like I wasn't okay somehow. I felt like I was missing something. Long comes Nixium, and it just felt like this perfect match at the time. These are really cool people, right? You don't marry someone that you don't think is cool. You marry someone that you really like and love. You don't go well, into relation Hopefully. 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 Yeah. The attraction needs to be there, I would think, on for most people. Yeah. And in Nixium, the attraction was there as far as the people. They were wonderful. They were creative. They were, uh, many of them were in the movie industry. They were doctors. They were lawyers. They were all kinds of people who were taking these classes. And I think, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm in the right place. If they think it's okay, I mean, it must be. There must be something right here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So th- there was, it It all felt very good going into it. And it felt like I'm going to find that answer. When did it go south? So after I became a coach, and was working my ass off because of course we're not getting paid. It started going south uh, probably about 18 months in. And there was, I had, was being recruited into this other organization within Nixium, but I didn't know anything about it. And it was another coach higher than myself in rank asking me to join this really kick-ass group of women who were doing some amazing things in the world that were going to keep each other accountable and it was going to help measure us so that we could be stronger women. But they were asked they asked me for collateral. And at that point, you know, as indoctrinated as I was into the system, you know, the light bulb went out on, and I said to myself, "I don't want to now involve my husband and family in this if I'm having to give some kind of collateral." So that really, I took a step back there. And by the time I was avoiding, the question for a long time when they were trying to bring me into this group. And by the time everything broke, like the New York Times got a hold of it, and the Frank report and other places were exposing this, and I was able to see that, then the light bulb really went off. And I, there's something wrong here. So that's it exploded around the same time. That's the reason I never got into DOS. So if you had complied and given mm-hmm. whatever the
1: collateral was they were asking for, yeah. How would that relationship then be redefined?
0: You and next. So, from what I understand, and I never went into this group, but they were asking for collateral in order to keep the group secret. And once you were in the group, you were asked to do things. You became a slave, basically, to the person that recruited you. Keith Raniere had eight women who were his intimate, sexually intimate slaves, and they were all to recruit. I believe seven or eight more slaves after that. And so I would have been a third line slave had I been successfully recruited into this program.
1: Gosh, what a leap from, I totally get now with your past history, you're very philosophical. I mean, not Everybody wants to know where did we come from? What's our purpose? I used to, I, I still, I always did that, but you know, not everybody does that. So interesting that you came from that point of view, therefore you were set up. It's very open. Uh, you yes. were very open. Excellent way to put it. You were very open. And if you had just done the classes, everything would be fine uh, but you wanted more because you're a seeker. And I would assume that the other people that took that next step were deep seekers as well. Well,
0: you have to sort of take a step back for a second. So or organizations like this recruit people like me. They don't want people who are not intelligent They want people who can recruit other people like myself, who Ah. have some amount of resources because the classes are fairly expensive. So they're going after people like me. And and so I was heavily recruited once I got, once I started taking the curriculum and the, the classes, I was recruited within the organization to move up the ranks. So I was encouraged. I was love bombed. I was paid attention to. I was supported. I was encouraged to become a coach like you are amazing kelly like you have everything it needs to be a successful coach we really want you and this is what you need to do
1: kelly you just used a word or a two-part word that is used for narcissists mm-hmm. love bond mm-hmm. it's used a lot in mm-hmm. relationships in, in intimate relationships yeah. people w- when somebody meets a narcissist a narcissist is controlling, has to be in control at all times. It's a very mm-hmm. interesting parallel now and cannot compromise. It's their way or no way. Correct. And in order to seduce you to get you to be, and, and it's very natural. I don't think a narcissist plans on this. I think it's, it's just what, what the nature of that person is. They love bomb you. Correct. Yes, they court you heavily. So people listening here in relationships where you feel stuck and enslaved, think back how the relationship started. So what does love bombing mean? Means love bombing means an inappropriate and accelerated advance to um, so that the target will find favor with them, will feel comfortable. Oh my God, I can't believe I met somebody like this. this. is the person I always wanted to meet. I'll totally be taken care of. Am I hitting any of the points?
0: Correct. And I always tell people it's too fast, too soon with anything. Too fast, too soon. Yeah. And love bombing is all about getting that person to feel special, that they're the one, that they uh, have what it takes. And it, you know, to a human being that feels really good when somebody's complimenting you and paying attention to you and doing all these things that's love bombing too fast too soon yes okay beautiful too
1: fast too soon and when you are the target of love bombing most people uh would get upset if those others watching this said hold on a minute I think there's something wrong. This is inappropriate. He should not be showing up at your doorstep, being there when you get home to make dinner with a bag of groceries you just met three days ago. Things like that. Yeah. Um, gosh, how was your husband and family reacting during
0: this? So it's so funny. I get this question all the time. And so there were two of me. So there was Orange County Kelly, right? That everybody kn- knew. My family knew. And then there was Cult Kelly. And and I only behaved that way when I was around that organization. Because coming home and using the language of the cult, using uh, the ideology didn't work at home because nobody understood the language. And my friends didn't understand the language. So I didn't recruit people who were not super interested in what I was doing. And I kept it separate in a sense that if you if I were trying to recruit you and talk to you about and you were not interested and you're just like, mm, I could tell. So I'd leave it alone and go back to Orange County Kelly and just be in 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 rapport with you in the way we always had been. But if you had any kind of instinct or wanted to do it, then I would I would know that and I would I'd bring you along. So I kept it very separate. There were two of me. Did you have two phones? How did you keep in contact with people? Well, I just talked to them regularly. We used WhatsApp a lot, but That was only, that was just because you could do group chats and things like that. But I did not have two phones. I wasn't secret in that way. I simply knew it's sort of the same thing as, you know, kids can use, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but now when you're younger and with your parents, you can, you know, not to use foul language, right? When you're with your friends, you do, you kind of go back and forth and it's very easy. And it's not a secret. You just know what's appropriate and what's not. Exactly.
1: Okay. Um, Any questions about the bank account, uh, having money be transferred more than normal? Nothing like that?
0: No, I discussed when I would buy curriculum, I bought the first 16 days and I bought a few other classes. I discussed that, you know, I'd say, okay. I, i'm going I'm gonna take some more curriculum. and he, and my husband thought it was great because I was busy in a way that I and I was learning he knew how much I love to learn. And this was like taking classes. And the more time I was spending with I was very careful about how much time I spent in Albany, so I, I did i was I'm a mom, so I had to take care of my children. so i was I was exhausted all the time,
1: mm. completely and
0: totally. But I was really able to keep both of those lives going at the same time. However, As time went by, it became harder and harder to do that. And so right around the time that everything blew up, it was getting a little, it was getting more difficult to do that. And
1: as you were saying this, I'm thinking, okay, so these women that I know of that actually said they were enslaved through children and one, both through a lack of education, actually, uh, because they started having children at right after high school, Uh, That was similar with both of them. Um, There's a point where everybody wakes up, kind Mm -hmm. of. There's a point where things either come crashing down or you're all in. Correct. And you go further. What was the difference between you and the other women who were all
0: in? That's a good question. I think the difference was the amount of time they had been in. So I was only in, by the time I was starting to get recruited for this, it had been about 18 and 19 months. These women had been in for years and years, at least five years. And they were living in Albany. And they had a lot more access, or Keith had a lot more access to them. And also they were a bit younger than I am. And they didn't have children, many of them. I don't think any of them had children But I know, so so more impressionable, maybe, maybe more impressionable, fewer obligations, life, family obligations. You know, I had children, so there was always that part of me that was protecting that, even even as indoctrinated as I was, right? Instinctual part of me as a mother and a wife in a relationship that I was I was careful with that, if that makes sense. It
1: does. No, no, no. Actually, that was your saving grace that you actually had a full life. It actually
0: was my saving grace. It it I was very protected through the whole thing. I real, I believe in angels. I do too. <laughs> I really do. Oh I believe I was protected through this whole thing yeah. for me to come out of this with a whole different perspective of the world and people in order for me to get my message out to the world, which is really about how and when we can give our power away and being and being able to recognize that and understand that we have this part of ourselves that is glorious and we're born with that and we need to remember that and in that in that gloriousness we have the ability to make choices for our lives that that really support us that we have the power it's all here and we often give it away
1: okay so this is exceptional Uh, May we focus on this because whether you're getting divorced or not, we can easily do that. Yes. And not understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very easy. In relationships, I think this is one of the hardest things about interpersonal, intimate marriage relationships is where... Where's that line that we nobody can cross um, that would literally change who we are as individuals, giving ourselves away, not saying what we think, not doing what we do? Now I know in relationships there is compromise, and how long have you been married, Kelly? Twenty years. Okay, so you've been married a long time, so you can speak very well to all the transition points you probably went through, through your relationship uh, with your husband, because this this becomes, I think, one of the greatest goals is to be in a relationship where you can safely grow as an individual and not damage the
0: relationship. How do you look at it? So, I have a very supportive husband, so i'm very I'm very lucky that way, and I support him as well. So we're not always on the same page with everything all the time, but we also support that with each other. I think any when you talk about the line, <clears throat> I believe the line is any time that you make a choice that goes against your best interest, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're making a choice, For someone else, as long as you understand why you're doing it, that's okay. But if you're making a choice that goes against your best interest, you're in trouble. Or goes against your philosophy, your integrity,
1: stand for as a person. Mm -hmm. And we can feel it in our gut Mm -hmm. that way. Our body goes. our, Our body changes. We know when we're going down the wrong road and it's against our best
0: interest. Exactly. So if somebody's asking you to do something that goes against what you believe in or who you know yourself to be, or you compromise your values or your integrity on a regular basis, you are slowly giving your power away. And that's what Glorious is all about. It's that ability to choose you and be able to understand when and if you give your how you're giving your power away if you choose to uh, being aware of it but learning how really to make those choices that are in integrity with yourself and those around you
1: so when you and your husband don't agree on something
0: mm-hmm. how do you communicate how do you resolve it well we discuss it and we don't always agree on things but he doesn't keep me from doing what i want to do and I don't keep him from doing what he wants to do. But our values are pretty much in line. Mm-hmm. So our values kind of, uh, our kids usually come first. That's that's the top of the value system right now. And and then after that, it's like, it's supporting each other and understanding how much each other needs. And we ask for what we need. So it's it moves around all the time. So it's never all the same. And like I said, we're never always on the same page, but that's okay. We're never going against each other, right? We're never asking each other to go against our own values.
1: Okay. So with the children, you kind of have to come to some level of compromise. Mm -hmm. The college they're going to go to, the thing they want you to buy, whatever. So I would assume it's somehow you both compromise on that.
0: Yeah, we we talk about it and, yeah. and and we're both pretty logical. So, and usually we're, you know, we kind of can agree on it. And if we don't, we have certain things that he doesn't make a decision on behalf of Annabelle without asking me and vice versa. I mean, right. big things, you know. Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Um, so the real point of this then, I think for people listening who feel they're in a situation where they're just not them they're not expressing themselves the way they want to be expressed was there ever a point in your relationship where you were afraid to say what you thought and express yourself but, but that's not really how i feel here's how i feel in
0: my relationship with my husband mhm no i'm pretty i'm a pretty good communicator so i've never not felt i could say how I felt about something you were
1: never fearful of his reaction that if you expressed yourself you would lose him or something no Mm -mm. that's a key point see that's a
0: really big key point in but in the cult but in the cult absolutely Uh absolutely that would happen an example for example if I questioned what was going on Mm. If I asked certain questions about the way things were going, uh, what is Keith really up to? I've heard this, that, or the other about him. I would be shut down and told, why do you need to know this information? Do you even have data on this information? If you don't have data, then you shouldn't be talking about it. Now we need to get back to you, Kelly, and look at your weaknesses because we're here to work on you. So it all be turned around back to me. And if I continued on down this line, someone higher up in the ranks would come and talk me through the same thing, get me back to looking at myself. And I imagine that if I continued to do it, I would probably be asked to leave the community. If you really were out there and causing problems within the community, asking too many questions, you'd be asked to leave. So there's always that fear. So I did not ask. I did ask some questions because that's just me, but I didn't ask I stopped. You know, I knew how far I could push it. Right. Okay, so as you're talking about this this is
1: brilliant and I started relating this back to divorce situations. Mm-hmm. So I listen, I don't want to scare any of you listening about this thing called cult but with embodied within the concept of cult is control so that you can't express yourself and so that you can't freely live and I'm going to give a very common example of still many women are given budgets and allowances to live on and they don't have access to the uh, family bank account their Mm -hmm. name may not even be on a joint account they only get their money from their other spouse Mm -hmm. and when they ask can I have access to the joint bank account? I would like to make up my own mind about what we need. Um, I think I'm pretty good at it. Why do you need to know? What do you need to know? And then God forbid, can I see the tax returns that I just signed for the past 10 years without reading anything? That's a big blow up. Or if they try and call the accountant, you know, I just need to understand the family finances. Why do you need to know? Ask your husband. This is what happens in marriages, Kelly, mm-hmm. that this aren't good acceptable. marriages. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so cult equaling control beyond healthy. I mean, what is control? I mean, how much control is even healthy control in somebody's life? You know, you have to exercise some level of control to protect your children. But, do you feel your husband needs to exercise any control over you
0: for any reason? And vice versa? You know, what's so interesting about that is I don't like to be controlled. I hate being controlled. Like someone tries to control me. It just it I just buck. But, in the cult, I allowed myself to be controlled because I believed that I was doing something that was helping me to become a better person. And so I allowed the control to happen for a what I thought at the time was a much higher purpose. Yeah. In my marriage, if my husband ever tried to control me, it was like, you know, no, what are you doing? So he he never did control me directly. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like- yes. So it's just so interesting I, to think about that in the cult for me. I was allowing myself to be controlled. I didn't always like it and I did buck it a bit and I write about that in my book, how I I was bucking a lot of things, but only to a certain extent because I really wanted the prize. Yes. I really wanted that. I want to be this enlightened person who is never going to feel the pain kind of of being human. If I got to this place of enlightenment, Nobody's judgment could ever hurt me. Nobody's criticism could ever get to me. Right, so I'm this. I'm this person, like that. Just I, I love everyone, and everything is just you know doesn't really exist. But that was the prize for me.
1: Before I ask you, obviously, how you extricated yourself, I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. Did you meet the Dalai Lama while you were with this group
0: or before? I met the Dalai Lama before. Yes, quite a few, like probably seven years before. How did you meet the Dalai Lama? So some friends of mine were supporting an organization that was helping the Dalai Lama to do, I think to build some schools in Tibet or something. I forget exactly, but it was basically an organization that was um, involved, excuse me, that was involved with the Dalai Lama, and they just invited me to come along. And so he was speaking in San Francisco before probably 10,000 people in a big auditorium. And then there was a few of us, there was probably eight of us that got to go backstage and meet him.
1: When you met him, did you feel any different? Was there this energy that came out of him that was different? What was it like?
0: Well, when I saw him on stage, he was speaking through an interpreter, basically, in Tibet and then in English he would say something in Tibet and it would be interpreted into English. And I think Spanish, okay. <laughs> excuse me. So there was like this time delay. I'm sorry. No, go <laughs> ahead. It happens
1: a lot to me. Don't even worry.
0: And so I didn't get a good real feel for him. Cause he was kind of far away, but when he walked into that back room, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm
1: so sorry. It was a completely <laughs> different experience. Wasn't it?
0: I, I, the room almost seemed to become like twinkly almost. And he had this joy about him that was almost childlike when he when he came. It was this 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 he radiated joy. And when he does the blessing with the kata, which is the scarf, uh-huh. it was like this moment in time where kind of everything stopped and you just felt this unconditional love. From him, that was just out of this world, i I can't even explain it, my God, <laughs> you're so lucky.
1: You're really lucky, oh my I God know, I, that I'd have never spoken to
0: anybody who's actually met the Dalai Lama is so pretty um, cool, yeah. and he just really when you're after you meet him, you just feel like something really special happened. And for you as a truth seeker, <laughs>
1: I mean, that was the one of the ultimates, you know, one of the pinnacles. I'm
0: sure. I, and I'd been to Tibet uh, two years before, so <clears throat> would you go back again? A third to time? A third oh, time? definitely. Yeah. It Was that great? I I loved it. It's changed a lot since I went. Apparently, Lhasa is a very different place. But it was so special, and the people were so amazingly. Involved in their evolution as a human being,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was very very special. And to see the temples and just mm-hmm. the history—the history is pretty traumatic after the Cultural Revolution. Right, but just to be able to experience that. And one other thing that was really fun: one of our guides, his mother was the uh, called the mother of Lhasa, and she had helped the Dalai Lama back in the nineteen 19- fifties, I guess it was, mm-hmm. to escape Tibet. Oh. She had us in for tea. Wow. And she took me over to, you're not allowed to have <laughs> the pictures of the Dalai Lama anywhere, really. You're, you're not? Then you couldn't. And so she had it covered up and she took me in this room. She says, the Dalai Lama? And she opens it up. I said, oh, <laughs> the Dalai Lama. And she just, you know, they have to be careful about showing his picture because of the Chinese government. Uh, oh, oh. Okay. All right. I
1: understand. All right. So let's talk about what that process was in which you extricated yourself. So you weren't going to take that step about providing collateral. How did you handle this?
0: Uh, I avoided. I avoided the phone calls and the person that was recruiting me for a couple of weeks. And then when someone called me from Canada, and they said, "Have you seen the Frank report? You have to check out this link, but don't tell anyone that I told you because they'll get—they'll come after me." I had no idea what she was talking about. I clicked on the link to the Frank report, which is a blog in uh, based out of uh, Albany, New York, and or somewhere in New York. And I saw the article about sex slaves. I'm like, "This is baloney. This can't be real." <clears throat> Excuse me. And I saw the word collateral. And everything was like, my world started spinning. Oh my gosh. So I called the person who was recruiting me and I said, is this what you were talking about? And she said, yes. And I was just floored, absolutely floored. And from that point, it was a matter of getting information, calling people who really didn't want to talk, who were not talking about it or were trying to talk me out of it. It was all became very secret no one knew who was in who was out so it was really this imagine you have a village of people and you just throw a bomb in the middle of it everybody scatters it was like that
1: was it once you came to that realization did you just stop accepting phone calls and emails and whatever and it eventually died off
0: in the beginning uh I talked to a few people and then I started sort of being more select about who I was talking to because I wasn't sure what was going on. And we're still trying to get information at this point. We're trying, I'm trying to get accurate information. Everybody's story is different depending on how much people were willing to actually look at this. Some people were unwilling to look at anything about Keith and they were just staunch believers and that could never happen. Some people were in the middle and some people were running already for their lives. Everybody was scared because nobody knew what was happening and what was true or not. Everyone was, like I said, afraid to talk to each other. So it was a process and being indoctrinated or getting a divorce is a process, right? You don't just never talk to the person again. Usually, usually there's a There's some talking and it's a slow... Well, especially if you have children, you have to co-parent. Yeah. And then there's a slow extrication of the relationship itself. Right. And that's what happens in a cult. Uh, You start to extricate yourself from it. And it's a slow process because you're still indoctrinated. So you still believe on some level that what you were doing was right. It doesn't just boom, you're out.
1: Exactly. And that is what it's like in a marriage. Once you wake up to, oh, maybe what I've been accepting Mm -hmm. isn't really right
0: or healthy or appropriate. How do I get out? Right. And you don't and you question yourself and you doubt yourself and you wonder, was it really me? Was it what was you know? So it's it's you almost you have to re-educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Bring yourself back into you and get to know who you actually are again. Because in a narcissistic abusive marriage, you lose yourself, and in a cult, you lose yourself. And you have to bring, you have to find that person again. And it doesn't
1: happen overnight. No, it doesn't. It does take time. And did you, in that slow process, uh, did you ever say? Well, wait a minute. This can't. be, This is ridiculous. No, let me just go back. Was it a? It was a two steps forward and a half step backwards kind of
0: thing. In some ways, it was. I didn't leave right away. I didn't leave for another three months. So I actually went and did another coaching uh, curriculum session in Albany. Okay. And it, and when I got to Albany, is when it really started to explode because people were running in and out of the center. I mean, people were like crazy. So I. It was sort of two steps forward, one step back in the sense that I had questioned myself a lot. Is this really happening? Now you have to remember too, at this time, or I'm going to share with you at this time that he had not been indicted. There had been no criminal charges. Nothing had happened like that. The police had not come after him yet. So we're all wondering if this is really happening, why aren't the police involved? Well, with a criminal investigation like this, they have to get their ducks in a row. It's a process as well. And so there was a lot of questioning on my end and other people's end about, is this really happening? Is this really true? Are they making this up? Are they coming after Keith because they don't like him? Because that was always his his um, narrative, is there's so many people out there that are trying to, to, to get me because what we're doing is so good and people want to stop us, you know, the whole conspiracy theory thing. So in some ways it was like, like leaving a marriage too, right? You Mm -hmm. don't run for the door and you're gone. And it's, there's a lot of that back and forth, questioning the self and wondering and replaying and am I making a mistake? And is this real? Did you ever get upset with yourself?
1: Did you? Oh
0: yeah. How can I be so stupid? How can I be so dumb? How could I've gotten myself into this? And Oh, of course, there was a lot of shame involved uh, after I got out. And I had—I was fortunate to have a lot of therapy. And I've done two documentaries now and shared my story. I was encouraged to, to share my story by the director of Seduced, uh, Cecilia Peck, to get my voice out there. But in the process of that, I really did a lot of healing. And I think on some level, she knew that's what I needed. Now, of course, she, she's, she's a director and a producer. She's not a therapist. But, you know, she knew that by me telling my story in this way was going to help me. And it really did.
1: Oh, at, at, you know, absolutely. Once we make ourselves vulnerable, mm-hmm. it, it's a release beyond belief. And then it bolsters the courage that we have going forward. Because we just lived through something extraordinary. And mm-hmm. we came out on a good side.
0: And owning that, right, owning our mistakes and owning our story, regardless of what's happened to us, being able to own it and say, yeah, I made a mistake, I'm learning from it, that's my story, you drop the shame when you own it, right? If oh, I own so a story, it doesn't matter what you say or anyone says.
1: You own the shame when you admit, say what you said again? So when you
0: own your story, Right. You drop the shame That's because it. what keeps you from owning, owning your story is the shame. So if I own my story and it's mine and I'm taking all responsibility for it the good, the bad and the ugly, yeah. it doesn't matter what people say if they want to criticize and judge it. It doesn't really matter. W- will it hurt if people say, you know, judging things? Yes, it's not fun to hear, but I've owned this. I already know what I did, right? It's mine. I did it and I'm moving on. And so
1: since we're talking about shame for a second here, which is huge, I mean, I'm no stranger to shame and nobody is, we all, if we live a long enough life, we'll do things that we can't believe we did. Oh my God, how could I be? Um, With people in marriages who Mm -hmm. got into the marriage for what they considered to be the right reason. I really wanna be a mom, I wanna be a great wife. And this would fulfill me. And so you go with the person that you think is the right person for you. Just like you, you were looking for a greater good. You wanted to be a better person. You wanted to do the best you could for the world. So your reasons for getting in the relationship, like people's reasons for getting in a marriage, are for the good. And so that unto itself, I'm wondering, will help you to stop punishing yourself with the
0: shame. Well, people make choices in the moment. that are the best choices. They don't make purposely bad choices. So we make our choices in the moment because we think they're good choices. And then they turn out maybe they to have effects that are not so good Mm -hmm. down the line. And so as human beings, we are failure machines, right? We're constantly failing. But if we can't like understand, oh yeah, I made a mistake. Okay, everybody makes mistakes. I'm human. I'm not trying to be anything other than human. Then you can sort of own, you can own that failure and say, okay, that, that's just part of who I am as a person. And You can move on. Own, that's owning your story. And that's dropping the shame. Yeah. So I think that's what we need to look at is that, we don't make bad choices on purpose. I mean, I don't think people do. Well, generally we don't. Like we know we shouldn't right? ice cream before we
1: go to bed. It's not going to be the best health thing, but the big choices, the big life choices, we make them because we think we're doing a the good a good thing. I agree.
0: Yeah, but if you're if you're choosing ice cream and you know that that's a bad choice and you're choosing it anyway, you must have some higher value <laughs> that's being addressed. <laughs> so it's not it's a choice that you're making that's has you know may have a bad effect down the line, but in the moment it's it's a good choice for you or you wouldn't be making it. It's comfortable. It feels yeah, it's, good. it's giving you comfort. So that's a good choice yeah. for you in that moment. In that but, moment. You know, all choices have effects. So it's uh yeah. Absolutely.
1: So for those listening that are approaching a divorce, don't beat yourself up. If you think that you just ruined your life because you are in a situation that seems impossible to get out of, first of all, nothing's impossible. You can always get out of anything. You have to think strategically. And don't beat yourself up. Don't blame yourself. But Kelly, here's what I'm hearing lastly, additionally and lastly. What has this done for your courage going (laughs) forward?
0: So my courage going forward is, I've always had courage, which is interesting. I, I've always sort of what I call a jumper, I jump into situations, I don't always know what's going to happen because, but as far as courage goes, I'm more courageous now because I have survived this huge failure. There's a public failure. It's not just a personal failure. It's a very public fa- a failure. And so I've survived it. So now I know that I can, from there, keep going. So it's, it's built my courage in a way. And I think going, and I've been through a divorce when I was much younger. Mm. And I've been through um, a husband dying of alcohol and drugs. And I've been through some pretty big failures. And I really think that when you can survive a failure, Sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see. But once you get through it, you can look back and say, damn, I did that. And now I know that I can survive that. I can move forward with much more confidence and courage to make take some more risks and do things like that. And knowing that you know I might fail again, but I survived that one back there, those two back there. Nice. So I know if I fail again, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with that.
1: Yeah, I I so completely agree because I've interviewed other women on this podcast who have simply been through divorce and wanted to share their story. And each and every one said basically the same thing. They came from a big home and had to pare down. And it was the best thing that could have happened to them because in that they realized that's not where their happiness was, the big home. I mean, come on, it's its a structure, home is in the heart. Home is in the relationships that you have, and that home mm-hmm. can be anywhere. And they've all said the same thing that that you said they didn't have any idea how it was going to turn out, but just the fact that they walked through it without knowing what the next day was going to bring, just mm-hmm. following their heart and you know different decision making, changed them in a very positive way.
0: And Kelly, I'm. I don't... Go ahead. I'm sorry. You go ahead. You say losing all those things, the material things and going from a big house to a small house and really honing down to the simplistic minimal things is a huge growing experience. It's huge because you realize you can do with very simple things and that you can, you can now decide where and where you want to do with that and how you want to rebuild that. So it's a very uh, cathartic thing. Actually, I went from a very big house to, not even being able to rent because I didn't have any credit and I had two dogs and a kid. So oh my gosh, see?
1: And this is it. what the women that I was talking about- Happiest having. time
0: of my life.
1: Excellent. Honestly, happiest time of my life. Yeah. It really yeah. was. Yeah, a simple life. Not mm-hmm. the one Paris Hilton led on that TV show, The Simple Life. But <laughs> a simple life is
0: refreshing. It was- I still look back at that time. It was wonderful. It it's just it's the it's a refreshing new start. And of course, while I'm in it I'm not thinking all this because I'm wondering the uncertainty of everything that's, you know, that's a hard thing. But when you when you realize that you have everything you need already, it's all right there. It's a good feeling. It really is. Yeah. Oh,
1: you just gave so many people hope who are listening that you could not have said it better and specific to people leaving their marriages. This is really great. I just want to end with a little observation, if I may, with you. Mm -hmm. And that is, I don't think anybody looks at you as being a failure, I don't think from the out I listen to your to your story, and I'm like, well, that's so easy to get trapped in that. I totally understand it. I
0: don't look at it as a failure. Well, you have a different perspective. you know you're working with your the divorce, you know an amical divorce and how all that works. Most people, the first question I get from people is, how in the hell did that happen? I would never join a cult. That's the first thing I get from most people. Oh, okay. Because they don't really, okay. not everybody embraces failure, judgment. You know, I'm. there's still a lot of judgment. I get judgment all the time, uh, but it doesn't mean anything to me anymore because I understand it's a matter of education at this point, teaching people how easy it is to happen to to anyone. And so... But you come from a different place so you can kind of see a failure as something to build on, right? I didn't see that in the beginning. It took me to okay. go through this, to look back, to understand that you know, failure is actually, can be a really good thing. And I'm not as afraid of it as I was before. Perfect ending.
1: Perfect ending, Kelly. This was great. I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better
0: conversation. Oh, Thank this is so fun. Thank you for having me on. This is really great.
1: This is wonderful. Now, you are a a different type of guest because you don't work in the divorce field. And I normally say, well, what's your contact information? Do you in, are you with support groups? Is there, is there a need or a reason for you to give any contact information out or not
0: really? Yeah, I would love to. So first of all, seduceddocumentary.com is connected to seduce the documentary but it has a list of resources for people who are getting out of cults who have a loved one in a cult or are in an abusive relationship okay kellyteal.com is my website where you can find my book which talks a lot about failure and getting back up again Thank you
1: for reminding me I, I I feel like I failed you by not talking about the book so thank you so much for mentioning this and this is all in the show notes anyway but awesome. I, I appreciate for those listening that we came back to this
0: the title of the book is unapologetically glorious and my Instagram is the Kelly teal and there you if you wanted to follow um I'm bringing Doing lots of podcasts and documentaries uh, regarding cults and abusive relationships. Okay. Just, you know, and also a lot of motivational things around my be glorious platform. Unapologetically glorious. glorious. Yes. Okay. Th- th- this is excellent. And it all will be
1: in the show notes. Thank you again, Kelly. This has been a, a very unusual and exceptional conversation. This is really fun. This is really great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank all of you for listening, as I always do. If you would like to make any comments about this or suggest other topics for me, you can reach me through my website and email Judith at dot Judith at dot or just go on the amicable. Ex- 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 amicabledivorceexpert.com website and you will see on the episode page speaker pipe and that's how you can communicate with me as well and as always have an amicable day
0: that's our show for today thank you for joining us be good to yourselves be kind to your spouse and cherish your children above all else